You're listening to the Detox and Chill podcast with Megan Dillon and Beck Benyon. We're two millennial women in the corporate world juggling wellness and a fast-paced lifestyle. On this podcast, we're breaking down wellness into digestible episodes that fit into your weekly routine. We're on this journey with you, learning from wellness and lifestyle experts in their fields. From our lighthearted banter, what's the appropriate amount of time to go between shaving our legs? To getting deep about everyday struggles like hormones, societal norms, and gut health, we're your podcast besties. Disclaimer, no late night text needed to detox and chill. most of you guys, I recognize some of your familiar faces, which is awesome. Um, But for anyone who doesn't know who we are, so Beck and I started the podcast about a year ago, and it's just crazy how much it's grown and everything we've been able to do. Um, But basically, Beck and I both work nine to five jobs, and we just had this passion for wellness that we felt like you know, things that you see on Instagram, like meditating for hours a day, things that wouldn't fit into our schedule. Um, so we decided to start this podcast and also too to just connect with amazing, amazing women, um, just like Tara. Hi, Cam. Hi. Vital Fit Nutrition right here. Vital Fit Nutrition. Um, and yeah, so we've, it's been a wild ride for the past, um, year and we're just so excited that you guys are here. So thank you all for coming. Yes, thank you so much. So I'm going to quickly introduce Tara, um, and then we'll let her kind of get into her background. But um, if you don't know, she's the founder and CEO of this beautiful store, and many like it, Folane. Um, so she actually um, apprenticed on an organic lavender farm in France, which I think is so cool. Um, she's also a Babson grad, um, and just has a really um, huge passion for safe skincare. And it's uh, Folane is just a brand that we trust through and through. Whenever I'm shopping for something non-toxic, as far as beauty goes, I know that I can look to Full Lane, their ingredients list, or their um, ingredients to stay away from Mm -hmm. um, is always a great help. Um, So thank you, Tara, for joining us. We're so excited. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, this is my second time meeting with you guys, and it was so fun. The first time, it was actually just a few weeks after Annabelle was born. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first time I had left the house, really. I know. And you fit us in. We, like, felt like superstars. I think it was the most efficient podcast recording we've had. It was. We walked in. We were on. Yeah. It was great. It was. I have a a high appreciation for what you guys are doing, um, because I obviously came up with this concept for Fulane and this passion um, that led to Fulane when I was also in a nine-to-five job. And mm-hmm. so want to be supportive to you as much as I can. Well, thank you. Um, and for anyone here who might not know the backstory, so we just love to start giving everyone a baseline of where you came from and how we're sitting in this beautiful, beautiful store. Should I do the short version or the full version? Let's do the full version. Okay. <laughs> Why not? Everyone's comfortable, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, so hopefully this isn't too repetitive for anybody. Um, It definitely will be for you guys, sorry in advance. But um, just like I mentioned, so I I was uh, fresh out of college. I was a public policy major in college, always have had this activist spirit, um, wanted to get into advocacy in law, uh, was working at a big law firm in New York, and 
uh, studying for the LSATs. And then all of a sudden I had this moment and I was just like, I am not happy. I'm not happy, you know, doing this job every day. And I don't think that this is the right thing for me. Oh gosh, what am I going to do? Because all my internships and all of my everything up until now um, were all geared towards a career, a, a very specific career. Um, and so it was just this moment of like, oh my gosh, okay, what am I going to do next? Um, and and I'm not really, I'm feeling very stuck. And so one of the things I started to do to feel happier, like to feel better about myself was truly to take care of myself. And so I started cooking um, healthy meals. I went to the farmer's market to get ingredients to cook healthy meals. I started um, going to yoga for the very first time in my life. Um, I started to really take care of myself on a whole other level. I didn't grow up in a organic, healthy household. I really had to teach myself how to do these things by, you know, surfing the internet and going, you know, into depths of blogs mm -hmm. and stuff. And um, and I basically, in this whole taking care of myself that was feeling really good in this process, I started to learn about how the beauty products that I used and was obsessed with using, I was always a beauty junkie, I started learning about how these products didn't line up with this investment I was making in my health. I started learning about everything from the lack of regulation of the beauty industry in the US. Um, do you guys know about that? So basically there's no, so in Europe, Canada, Japan, everywhere outside the US, it's very regulated, the beauty industry. Um, there's upwards of a thousand ingredients that are banned from products. And here in the US, there's only 30 ingredients that are banned and there's really no regulation. So anyhow, I started hearing about this stuff and that public policy major activist spirit in me, I was just like, wait, what? You know, my friends, my family members, like nobody knew this. And I got really angry and I felt like I wanted to do something. Um, but at the same time, I was just like, are there going to be products that are, are natural and clean and real that actually work um, and fit my standards for, um, sorry about the, the phone ringing. This is what happens with no live worries. podcast recordings. <laughs> um, so uh, I went out there to start and try and find brands that made products that were effective. Um, I started a little blog called The Natural Alchemist, and this was 2009. And many of these brands didn't even exist then. Clean beauty as a concept didn't really even exist then. Um, and I used the blog as an opportunity to meet with the brand founders. And the brand founders were these passionate, amazing people that had poured all of their love into these products. And um, they all were saying the same thing, that they had no home. There was no clean Sephora or clean Blue Mercury. And I was like, wow, wouldn't it be cool to create that home? Uh-oh. <laughs> and... Um, I realized I had no background in business, no background in beauty, no background in natural anything, really had just taught myself this world, you know, years before. And so I decided that I was going to give myself a little bit of a kind of background in all of those things. Um, and then if I still thought that there was an opportunity to start a clean beauty shop, I'd do it after that. So I worked on a lavender farm. I worked for a skincare manufacturer in Maine. Um, I got an MBA at Babson. And then after all of that, there still wasn't a clean beauty retailer. So I, I felt compelled to start it. And so literally sold my car, won a few business plan competitions, you know, scraped together pennies because I didn't want to take on outside investor money before proving something. Um, so signed a one-year lease to our first shop in the South End. Um, and we had no inventory. We had 10 brands. And, um, and my husband and I and a bunch of my friends, you know, painted the walls and tiled the walls and stuff. And 
Um, and I basically said I need to hit a, these milestones before I take on outside money to actually create a real business. And we hit the milestones that I needed to hit in the first year. We hit them in the first three months. And we had a beauty editor from New York coming up to Boston saying, so whoa. Amazing. Which that's huge. Yeah. 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 A lot of them were saying, why did you start this in Boston? This doesn't yeah. make any sense. <laughs> right. Which there's a, yeah. there's a whole, there's a lot to that. Um, and yeah, so fast forward to today. We have six stores across the country. Um, we have a booming e-commerce digital business, um, and we have the start of what is going to be a booming uh, full lane line of products. And our whole mission has always been, and, and certainly is now, to make it as easy as possible for women to start using clean products and to stick with them. Um, we know that most of these brands are unfamiliar to women. We know that um, the clean beauty journey can be kind of a, a tricky one because there are different scents and textures and experiences, but we exist truly to match you to the right things for you, whether that's from one of our third-party brands or one of our products. Um, and we have poured all of this love and energy and resources into learning everything about these products to be able to match you to the right thing for you. So anyhow, that's, that's where I came from. That's, you know what this is and thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah, what a great story. Um, and I think, that, so the theme of tonight, as you guys know, is getting rid of toxic products, toxic people, a toxic environment. Um, and so I would love to touch on the point that you made where people were like, why are you doing this? Mm. Like, are you crazy? So how did you kind of block that out and just you know keep going through all of that? So I think I, so I think the thing that kept me going in the early days it's always been about people you know we're talking about toxic people but it's the nurturing passionate people that can keep you going and right. build you up and buttress you in your life yep. and so honestly in the early days these brand founders were the ones that you know built me up in this this concept I couldn't I couldn't forget about it I had to do it because I felt like I had to do it for them Mm -hmm. um, and so in the early days, it was just, I kept on coming back to know these people will all support me, I'll support them, and it'll be an amazing community. And so I know that some people will be there. Then um, when I felt like I needed to take myself a little bit more seriously as a business person, mm -hmm. um, these business plan competitions and then meetings with, with potential investors, that's really what sealed the deal for me. I was just like, there are a lot of people that say that this is a bad idea, but at least these few people, mm -hmm. you know, will yeah. support me. Um, exactly. Mm -hmm. And those investors, I, I picked them strategically in the early days to be people that could almost be an extension of my team. So I found a person from the real estate space, a person from the science space, um, anyhow, that type of finance. Um, and I wanted to find people that were just as passionate about health and wellness as I was. And, and it was obvious to them that this was going to be something that was worthwhile um, working in. Mm -hmm. And you kind of mentioned health and wellness. And I know this all started from, for, for you out of your blog, where you yeah. kind of wrote about your healthy journey while trying to balance all of the other things going on. So how does maintaining a clean diet and kind of like a wellness routine help you during the day? That's a great question. And it honestly is imperative. Um, and it's something that I'm not always really great at. So I want to put that out there that not everybody's perfect. So I, um, in the early days, I was so extreme. Mm -hmm. So I would go down these rabbit holes. This is back like when I first started, you know, in 2009 with all this stuff. I, you know, I was, I was raw for a while. I was macrobiotic for a while. I was vegan and that was not healthy for me. Yeah. Right? That was bad for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so now I feel like, you know, having all of the education about the ingredients that my body likes and doesn't like internally, externally, everything, 
and then making choices as much as possible to use those ingredients in the right way. Honestly, like, I just feel like that's what fuels me. I mean, I can no longer really drink coffee. I'm now drinking mm. matcha. I feel like it just, it's a better fuel for me. Mm-hmm. I know the foods that I can and can't eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't fit into a certain box. Everybody's trying to fit into, mm-hmm. like, am I gluten-free? Am I, you know, vegan? I just know the things that work for me better than others. Um, and I find that that education is gold. Like, that is yeah. what gets me through, you know, these sleepless nights I'm having with the baby and the business and everything. Just knowing how I can support myself and my health has been mm-hmm. imperative. What was raw going raw like? <laughs> what was that like? It was, like, socially the worst thing ever. As oh, you my God. And it, like, you can't, you can't go out to restaurants. You can't, like, hang out with your friends. I mean, I was always bringing food. It was a yeah. sh- That was the shortest span out of all of them um it's like rabbit food almost pretty much (laughs) pretty much yeah it was it was pretty pretty weird um but none of the all of it just felt so forced and I I never felt truly healthy like I, I felt like I don't know, like my energy was so low during so many of them. And it was like, what am mm-hmm. I doing? Yeah. So I'm not anything now. I'm just yeah. kind of me. Yeah. yeah. I know the foods that I shouldn't eat a lot of. And some of those foods are fruits and vegetables, by yeah. the way. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, even for me, I feel like recently, like I went through the whole no dairy, no gluten, all yeah. that. Recently, I'm like, I'm going to have a Greek yogurt. I'm going to have yep. toast, just normal toast. And it's just been so like refreshing to do that and not think about it. Yeah, I think that's such an important point and hopefully something that is kind of shifting um, because like you said, you know, like the gluten-free, dairy-free is, is so popular right now. Like, oh, I'm keto, I'm whatever. Right. And it's like we're defining ourselves by the things that we eat and it's mm-hmm. like, it's so backwards. And I'm like, this ruins your social life, like you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it just doesn't feel good. So fi- I think the most important thing is finding something that works for you and you mm-hmm. only not you know, based on other people's exactly. experience. And honestly, the same thing, I have to make a plug because I'm sitting around all of our beautiful products. I mean, it's the same thing mm-hmm. for for skincare and for beauty products. It's not one size fits all. Mm-hmm. And you can find these products that can work so, so, so hard for you if they're the right ones for you. Yeah. You know, blue tansy is not right for every skin type, you right. know, like rose. And I mean, like in a high percentage, you know, yeah. rose seed, it's like, it can be really, really, really beneficial if it's the right thing for you. Yeah. So it's just, I guess the theme is figure out what your body needs Yeah. and then give that to your body like every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like with your products, what's a good way to know that something like is really working or not really working? Like, is there a length of time you should be using something like... So we, if you're, if you're going to have any kind of adverse reaction, you're going to have it in the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I mean, like it's more than that to see some sort of meaningful change. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it's going to end up being a result of a full routine of products. Um, but I would say like, you know, two months, if you're not seeing like a certain level of improvement in what right. you were trying to achieve, then maybe move on. Maybe move on. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that's a, a, an important point. Um, so I'd love to know how you kind of keep um, a non-toxic culture. So, you know, you're selling all of these products, you're promoting clean beauty. So how do you take that kind of behind the scenes with your employees? It's a great question because, honestly, it's like it's really hard yeah. being a retailer yeah. <laughs> and being in the beauty industry and building a business and managing that with everything else going on in life. And so... It's a really great question. I think um, I've actually been learning a lot um, on how to improve culture. I think everybody should always be. But I think that being transparent has been the most has been the most beneficial thing. We have some team members here. So 
Um, and shout out know. to them. Yeah. I'm They're just going to awesome. say they've been amazing <laughs> at um, helping us plan this event. So yeah. shout out Good. to you guys. Thank you guys. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. No, I think that like we inherently, because we do something that has such a deep mission and that is change making, we, we attract pretty awesome people, mm -hmm. I'd say, um, people that want to join us in this ultimate hustle. But, you know, there are some days that are harder than others. And, um, and there's sometimes when you're, we're not hitting our goals and, and like, you know, we have to be super transparent and like remind each other that we're all in this together mm -hmm. and we're a family. Mm -hmm. And then you also have to remember to celebrate the, the good moments too. Mm -hmm. I think those are just as important. Yeah. And one thing I can tell that you do really well is feedback. And I feel like you'd be really good at giving oh, candid feedback. Can <laughs> I can just tell, I just get that impression. So I feel like for some people that's natural for some people that's an acquired skill. What was it for you? So if I'm giving feedback, it's the funny thing is, is this is something that is so Fulane is something that's so core to who I am and like mm -hmm. I'm so passionate about. And my feedback is usually like, hey, like, you know, we're all passionate about this. Like, why? Why aren't we, you know, moving as fast or why aren't we? So mm -hmm. my feedback is oftentimes like not that fair, to be honest, because like <laughs> I sometimes assume that everybody around me is just as and usually they are. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, I think that honestly, it's like giving it in the moment and being as transparent and real about it, as mm -hmm. opposed to trying to create it into this like really big bubble up and yeah. it turns into something that's like huge and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And like, if we're going to make the change we we're going to make, we need to be able to talk to each other transparently and fat and quickly and on the fly. And, yeah. Um, but I think that honestly, feedback is also, I don't know why you think that I'm good at feedback because I've never <laughs> given you feedback. I can I, just tell. I think it's also comes from a place of respect. And you know, like we, I inherently have so much deep respect for everybody on our team. Um, you know, we've surrounded ourselves with, with experts in ways that we aren't, you know, that, that I'm not expert, that's for sure. And I have this deep, deep, deep inherent um, respect for everybody. So it's like, if I'm giving feedback, it's kind of like, wait, you know, it's like more mm -hmm. of a question. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah. No. And I think that's something that a lot of us struggle with and I struggle with too at work, especially to kind of giving feedback to people above you. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you feel like that. You're obviously kind of at the top. Well, no, I have customers, <laughs> investors, you know, board members. That is true. Um, so it's always a struggle, but I think one thing to your point is just saying it in the moment mm -hmm. and not having it become this whole swirl and right. you know it's it's just better to be direct yeah like a story that you make up in your head because of some, right. like one little thing someone said right. um so i mean you've worked in the corporate world now you've you've run a business for um, 10 almost 10 years now well six years six we started years the business in 2013 okay so six years so what advice would you give kind of for all of us if we're in kind of a toxic relationship at work or there's you know, you have a meeting, you're like, oh man, that went really poorly and I don't know how to handle it. What advice would you give? It's a really good question. So I think, um, if you're in a truly toxic relationship, I think you need to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are just certain people that shouldn't, you know, be in a relationship together. I mean, it's like you can learn from different cultures. Sometimes they talk about like your doshas and mm -hmm. all of these different elements. People are you know, their water and their fire and their, you know, metal. And, you know, I was told one time, don't ever be around metals. I was like, what does that mean? But what then fast mean? forward. I've today, never heard of that, a metal. Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> anyhow, we don't need yeah. to talk about that because I don't Next know enough time. to be dangerous there. But basically how I was described was some, uh, I have a personality that doesn't do well with those personalities. Right. And, 
to the extent that sometimes family members end up not, they stay far away from each other because they just don't click. And I think if it's a truly toxic relationship, like you, you feel in the pit of your stomach that icky, icky feeling every time you're about to be around somebody, why would you do that to yourself? Because yeah. that means that you've tried, right? And you, you have to assume that the other person has tried too. Yep. And if it's that bad, like I just, no, it's not, it's not worth it, I think. I do think that you need to work and try to see if um, if you can work through it to get there. And I think that's transparent, on-the-fly feedback. Mm-hmm. I think it's being truly, truly as honest as you can be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in like a you know in a corporate culture, and even in ours, it's like you think that you need to package this feedback up sometimes mm-hmm. in a certain way, but. At a certain point, if it gets to a certain point, you need to actually just be very transparent and say, this is how I am in, how we are in this relationship is not working for me. Yeah. So how can I better structure my meetings with you, my, you know, the feedback loop? Like we all want to be successful. So, you know, how can we be better partners? And just like yeah. say those words out loud, whether that's in a personal relationship or, a, you know, a work relationship, you just have to, you have to like say that stuff and it's scary, but you have to. Because yeah. you're scared that you're going to get fired or that you're, you know, but you have to right. say that stuff because otherwise if, if, and when you do hopefully quit or leave, it's, you'll, you'll have regretted not trying. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Right. And nothing will change yeah. if you don't do anything. Right. Um, I feel like for me, so I kind of had a similar story where I started in finance and then just really wanted to change. I felt like for me, my relationship just with the topic I was working on was toxic where every day I would go into work and be like, I truly hate this. Like kind of how you felt looking around, like everyone else loves this and I don't. So it can be really overwhelming to be in that situation. And you also mentioned the word stuck, which Mm -hmm. I feel like is a great word to describe how that feels. What what steps would you tell someone to take? I feel like I had to take very small steps and kind of make it bite size, but what would you tell people? So my biggest advice there is to start having like coffee dates and meetings with people to learn from their experiences, from their careers, from you know the places where they work, how they've advanced, how they've made choices through their careers, all the way through to you know asking them for advice. But I honestly think in a time like that, you need to look to the outside. You know, we live in this, like, we set a goal and we look inward and we go, 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 go. And that's actually really important to be in that zone for a lot of life because that's, like, the most productive, efficient zone. But if you're feeling stuck, you have to look out. You have to look at, you know, people. um, You need to look online at people that have done, you know, things that you think you want to do. You need to look on LinkedIn and see how they got there. You need to have as many coffee dates as possible with people and you need to just learn as much as possible. Ultimately, I'm sure that you'll either learn what your next step should be or you'll meet somebody along the way that will help you get to the best next step. But uh, you need to just basically get aggressive about looking outside from where you are. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I feel like so much of like the wellness world now is like manifest it, just dream it and then you'll do it. And I feel like you have to take steps yourself. You can't manifest it. You can totally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can totally have positive thinking and I think that's awesome and only helps, but you have to make some steps. Well, and I think to, I mean, thank God there are people now that don't just have linear career paths. I think, yeah. you know, 10 years ago, you look at someone who's in a leadership position and they've, you know, taken the steps um, for, you know, 20 years in a company where they have, you know, like spent five years doing something they hated, then they move up and the same thing over and over. So I feel like the shift of kind of taking life, like 
just by the balls, excuse my <laughs> friend. Um, and just like doing it is so important because there's, I mean, the world of wellness is, is getting bigger and bigger. And I think people following their passions is getting bigger and bigger, but there's still room for you. There's room for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just like you said, just, you know, finding the steps yeah. that work for you and it doesn't have to be these huge strides um, and it can take a while, but you know, just making those small steps just makes such a big difference. Yeah. And also just being realistic too. Like mm-hmm. I think, you said follow your passion, which yes, absolutely mm-hmm. do that. That's so amazing. But I think you also have to have like a little bit of a black backup plan. I don't know if that's right. just mm-hmm. me, but yeah. I like, For I sure. needed to still be working at my job, making an income to then pursue mm-hmm. these other things that I wanted to do. And I think that's okay. I think a lot of times we see people, they're just like, quit your job. Now's your time. <laughs> Go do you. And it's just like, it's also okay if you kind of have two paths going. Mm-hmm. That's what we both have. Yep. Um, and I feel like it makes both even better. Mm-hmm. People yeah. say that entrepreneurs are the biggest risk takers, but I actually think the most successful ones are not. I think right. it's very, very calculated. I mean, I had a job, a backup job after my MBA that like I had a job offer and it was like, I'm going to go take that job if Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not. And then like I didn't take on outside money until I knew that we hit Mm -hmm. some proof points. It's not it's Mm -hmm. all very, very, very calculated. I think Mm -hmm. if it's not calculated, you're not taking it seriously enough and you Mm -hmm. have to take it seriously if you if you actually want to grow it and do Mm -hmm. something with it. Mm -hmm. It's like I mean, it's your life. Yeah. if you're not coming from oodles and oodles of cash to just do whatever you want, like you need to, you need to take it very seriously to be taken seriously by people that are going to invest in you. Mm-hmm. And how did you manage that? I feel like we talked about this during our podcast episode, but for anyone else managing that with your husband and your family and everyone who like was very close to you. Cause I think it's almost easier if there's like a little bit of distance explaining and people are happy for you, but for the people who are there with you every day, what was the process like of coming to them first with the idea and then selling them on it? Well, I was lucky. So James, my husband, was actually the first person who encouraged me to start the blog in 2009, mainly because he was like, I can't hear you talk about this anymore. <laughs> you have to tell he somebody like, you else. You need to talk to somebody else about this. Like, honestly, like, I don't want to hear about shampoo and lotion. So just stop. <laughs> so he, he was like, I've heard about these things called blogs. I mean, you guys, this is a long time ago, right? Yeah. So nobody, I think I got like 200 people reading my blog if I was lucky. And anyhow, so Um, He was like, I've heard about these things. You should try and like write this online diary. And so thank goodness he encouraged me to do that. And then um, when I went to Babson, I knew that it was to to start a business of some sort. And when I got there, everybody was like, this is ridiculous. This is a terrible idea. Don't do it. So that's why I applied to all of these companies. And then I thought, okay, I'll do one of those company jobs, um, you know, and then come back to starting the business. And then in my second year of school, I um, I worked on the plan for Full Lane and became obsessed. Submitted it to these competitions <laughs> yeah. and got some people behind it. And and then you had to make the hard decision: Do I take that quote unquote real job, mm-hmm. or uh, do I start Full Lane and take a shot at it? And for probably two months, I cried every single night. I was like, James, make this decision for me. Mm-hmm. Help yeah, me. And he choose. was like, and I think the the best thing he did for me was he said, nobody can make this decision for you. Mm-hmm. You have to. You have to be the one to make this decision and um and so I did luckily make it (laughs) (laughs) what we are spoiler alert and then once I you know either way either direction I went like he would have been so supportive I mean for the first year he was in the basement 
you know, helping me set up the POS system and running mm -hmm. the numbers and doing the first Excel, you know, things with me. And, um, and, you know, if I had gone to one of the quote unquote real jobs, he would have been there listening to my woes from that at the end right. of the day. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to find your true support system. It, that, it didn't yeah. need to be my husband. It could have been my best friend. It could have, well, he is my best, but it could have been like my mom or, you know, a sibling. Mm -hmm. You just need to find somebody who you can, somebody or some bodies, like people who, who are your support system that you know that are, they're going to be there for you no matter what. And they're going to tell you the things you don't want to hear, right? but also tell you the things that you need to hear when you're having the really dark low days, which there will be many of them um, yeah. in any of these good transitions. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's a great point for people around you. I feel like you can truly tell the people who love you when they give you honest feedback yeah. that mm -hmm. you may not want to hear. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's truly coming from a place of love. It's not, you know, just some random person like, oh, you can't do that. There's no way. It's like, okay, like maybe you should steer this way instead right. of that way. So I think that's such an important point to make. Um, as far as um, your kids. So you have two kids now, mm -hmm. um, a new baby. She's six, She's seven months, seven months yeah. old. So how do you balance having a new baby and a toddler mm -hmm. and running this amazing business. Well, that's all I do, those two things. And I and um, I do a lot of them. I, I don't really, I say this, I don't really believe in true balance. Um, so people think about, you know, your friends, your family, and your work. So my friends don't see a lot of me right now. <laughs> and yep. luckily, like, I know that they will, they will always be there for me. Mm -hmm. And I love them, and um, they're very supportive. But... Let's just take them off the yep. whole plate right now. So, um, so between family and Folane, I what I've done is I've just again created this support system. Like I, I wouldn't be able to do it without an amazing team at Folane and without a support system at home. Um, and then I, within that, have started to truly, you know, um, segment my time, plan it out really far in advance. Um, and I don't know. It sounds not romantic, but it's that's mm -hmm. the just the fact of the matter. I mean, like scheduling things, scheduling time, like to be with my kids, to right. leave early on the days that I need to. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's how it works. Yeah. And what about travel? Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, it's realistic. <laughs> but I feel like even for this, like you had travel delays, yeah. which thank you for being yeah, here, course. by the way. But um, like, how does that all work with your new? I think that kids? what I do is there are some weeks where I work nine to five or whatever it is, and I see them in the morning and I see them at night and we have a ritual and it's great. And then there's some weeks where I'll be gone for three, four days at a time, but then I'll be with them for the next three, four days. And so mm -hmm. it's not all the same. Um, and I'm lucky enough to be able to set, you know, my schedule to a certain extent. Um, and I... I am lucky enough to do something that I'm so passionate about that mm -hmm. I'm okay with taking those three days away right right now. Yeah. You know, who knows? That might change yeah. in the future. But, you know, I, like, couldn't imagine doing anything but being mm -hmm. in Dallas earlier this week and talking right. to a huge room full of people about mm -hmm. why this is so important, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, this is what I want to do, and it mm -hmm. was a choice I made, you know? And I we wanted to start our family at this time, and it was, you know, it was a big decision. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I realized that like I had to be able to do both because, mm -hmm. you know, that's just what I, it's just was the fact of the matter. So Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit, but kind of on the same realm. So, you know, being a mom, being a woman um, at investor meetings, mm. you know, how do you have the confidence and find that seat at the table? Did I tell you last time the story about um, the fundraise I did when I was nine months pregnant? 
Yes. Yes. Who's yes. <laughs> going into Great these boardrooms? I mean, all investors, the vast majority of the investor community is still male. And um, and I would go into this these boardrooms and they would, some of them wouldn't say anything at all, like, which is more <laughs> awkward, by the way. And then some of them would say things like, oh, well, what will happen if you have to for some medical reason or some, any reason, oh my God. you know, if you, if you just happen to have to leave for a few months. And I was just like, do you mean that I, because I'm if pregnant. If you have <laughs> yeah, your baby. <laughs> to go have a baby. And then, but I would say to them, and honestly, it's the truth. I mean, my, I didn't really ever leave. Like I can't, this was a baby. Feline was my first baby, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not a human baby, but like it's evolving and changing. And sometimes it's going to have really bad times. And sometimes it's going to have really good times and it's a part of who I am. And you know, maybe one day I'll sell it, which I won't sell my kids, but like, <laughs> but, hopefully not. <laughs> but I, I think that like I had to get them, I had to help them understand that like, you know, I'm never fully leaving, which is like kind of screwed up that I had to help them understand that. But, um, but it was just—it was just kind of a weird conversation, and I—I I always regretted that I even had to have the conversation because I know that it would never come up um, right, if right. I was a guy, and yeah. so I just—it was always kind of awkward, and I was like, "Let's get yeah. through this as fast as possible." Um, you know, some of them said, "Like, you know, do you want to bring in somebody else to run the company because, like, you know, maybe you would just want to be a mom one day?" And I was like, "Just be a mom. That's a way harder job exactly. than what I'm doing, yeah. by the way." Mm -hmm. And like, and why are we talking about this, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. It was like not a, it was kind of an ugly time to be honest. Um, but it, the benefit of it is that it gave me a lot of visibility into the people that I would want to work with or not work with. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so that was the benefit. Do you, yeah. do you think that community is changing? Like the investment community, do you think they're kind of waking up to women being in these more powerful positions? I do just because there have been some awesome women that have forged the path for us, to be honest. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, amazing companies right now going public that were started not not long ago by women. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think you need, the proof is in the pudding and I think that it's out there now. So I, yes, yes. Yeah, I, and I feel like if you can go into those meetings nine months pregnant, like you can do anything. Right. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh my you God. have conquered all. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, it definitely wasn't easy. It's like, all right, I need to stand up now. It's awkward, like right. my lower like, back here pain. We go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's talk about, um, the doctors and medical professionals that you work with to pick out your products. So I think this is the differentiator for Folane, um, is that you work with people who, you know, are so on top of, you know, the ingredients that shouldn't be in beauty products, the ingredients that are toxic for our skin. Um, so how did you decide to bring them in and kind of what does it look like now as you pick products in the store? Well, so just to clarify, they're, they're not picking products, what they do is they are kind of a brain trust to help us stay ahead of ingredient safety and concerns. So, and actually they are one of the reasons why we're based in Boston. So, um, so when I started Foley and I thought at one point that we were going to move to New York where so many of my friends mm -hmm. and family members were, um, and then after starting it here, I was meeting, I felt like every week I was meeting a new, like, you know, somebody from biogenetics and like MIT. the head of, yeah, the head of environmental <laughs> health at Harvard and like all these people. And and I was just like, wow, these people are, are brilliant, first of all. And second of all, they're, they're teaching me things that I think that the whole industry was unaware of. And I, I think it was honestly, it is, like you said, one of the claims to fame of our business is that, you know, um, we believe that unless we as a retailer ban ingredients, 
then the brands that we sell aren't going to go back to the labs who manufacture their products and say, um, you know, you need to make, you need to literally like make a new ingredient that's safer. So because of that, this is called the precautionary principle. So because of that, like if there isn't enough information saying that something is safe, then we're trying to exclude it from our portfolio. And so I never even thought about that until working with these people um, here in Boston. Like when we started our, our quote unquote restricted substance list was like the ones that you've always all heard of, like parabens, yeah. SLS, whatever. But by working with this um, group of people, I realized there were th ingredients out there that were, by the way, prevalent in the natural space that mimicked parabens, that looked like, I mean, we have a, we have a green chemist on our advisory board that, you know, that phenoxyethanol and some other ingredients actually, like, they look like the bad stuff. So why would we, yes, there's no information about it, but if it looks similar, why wouldn't we ban it? So right. mm -hmm. um, they they aren't necessarily like out there looking for the product. Our merchandising team and, and me, like we're out there looking for the products we want to sell. But what they do is they make sure, they help us make sure that we, um, our restricted list is comprehensive. Mm -hmm. And what it's like working with them, it's like the best thing. It's one of the best parts about um, my job because mm -hmm. they're brilliant in a way that, you know, is like next level. Yeah. Um, and they're, they don't move at the pace that we move necessarily, yeah. Um, yeah. but they're, but they're awesome to work with. And one thing too, so I'm noticing more and more folene branded mm -hmm. items, which is super exciting. I tried the essential oil and it's amazing. Which one? The body oil? Oh, no, oh, the for the diffuser. Cool. It's so good. Um, but like, what's, the, what's the deal with that? Are you going to expand more? Um, yes. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. If, if, <laughs> if, if you will let us, um, if the first ones do well, um, which yeah. we hope they will. Um, so our refillable soaps, um, our full lane refillable soaps, mm -hmm. we've had them since we started the business and it really encapsulated everything that we stand for. So it was healthy, wholesome, beautiful ingredients with beautiful experiences in a refillable glass jar, right? So mm -hmm. like that's everything that we are. And so it's always been the number one selling product out of everything we mm -hmm. sell. So um, recently we were just like, listen, our customers have been coming to us telling us these other things that don't exist in our store or in any other clean beauty retailers. Things like body scrub in a tube, it seems very obvious, but every single body scrub in the yeah, entire clean so beauty true. space is in a, a tub. tub. Yeah. Um, and so we have years and years, almost six years of customers telling us like, what gives? Why doesn't this exist? And we said, all right, so people love the Folane brand, you know, soap. So maybe they'll love the Folane brand other products. So we, um, so, you know, we basically took the feedback um, on whatever they felt like there was a hole for, and then we made it as beautiful and like mm -hmm. awesome as possible. So that body scrub in a tube is not just a body scrub in a tube. If you open it up, it's literally blue and it has kaolin clay and it has this unbelievable citrus scent and it has the best, most hydrating blend of oils and shea butter and it and it's like the perfect granule size of sugar. I'm like done. It's so perfect. luxurious. And it's like that is what you use in the summer instead of a moisturizer because like when you're in the shower, you use that and it softs off dead skin and gets circulation going and it hydrates your skin and you don't have to put a moisturizer on afterwards and it's perfect, right? And so so we we obviously poured love into every single one of them and we will continue to. Um, a lot of retailers out there will just slap their name on a line to price cut, you know, and to, mm -hmm, to be right. like the true house line. And that's not what this is at all. This is another line that we sell that's just as beautiful. Um, and do you, I know this is like picking a favorite child, but do you have a favorite product that you're like daily 
using Can't Live Without. Out of all of our products or out of the fully in I mean. Let's do all of them. The soap is something that I always talk mm-hmm. about, and it's just so important. I mean, the thing is, is people don't realize how toxic their soap is. Their mm-hmm. their hand soap that they use, hopefully, upwards of ten times a day. Yeah. Um, and so, so I mean, that's a product that it contains tons of fragrance, tons of SLS, triclosan sometimes for antibacterial. It's just like a cocktail of horrendous ingredients, um, and it can be a beautiful experience. Yeah. So um, I talk about soap all the time. I mean. Obviously, skincare is where my real heart is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we have some beautiful, you know, balms and lotions and everything that I love. I mean, right now, my uh, one of my favorite cleansers is the cleanser by Naturopathica, which is a balm cleanser, and it's Oprah's mm. favorite this year as well. Oh. And wow. worth trying. It's this, <laughs> this beautiful, sweet scent, um, and it's a balm cleanser, but it it rinses clean, which is unique for a balm cleanser. Um, and it's, it basically won't break down your acid mantle or your microbiome and it leaves your skin feeling very clean, but not dried out. And, um, I could, you know, weave a story like that for all of our 550 (laughs) products that we sell and I'd love to, but we don't. Yeah. I feel like I need to get a small soap that just like clicked with me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause at work, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like there's just the, I have mine on me everywhere. Yeah. That like never occurred to me actually. Yeah. Like airport bra- bathrooms too. I had yeah. a friend. Well, our friend Steph. Um, she, <laughs> my friend, <laughs> mine. Um, so she went to an airport and used the soap, and she like completely broke out on her like hand, and like you could see mm. like where the soap was. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so scary. So like yeah. now I'm very cautious. These about are that. very heavy duty industrial chemicals that like, and they're sometimes in toothpaste. They're in soap, they're in shampoo, they're in baby products, and it's like, I mean, it's it's worthwhile finding stuff that's safe. We take it to the next level, and our stuff is very high-performing and beautiful and delivers this amazing experience mm-hmm. in addition to being safe, but it's worthwhile finding stuff and using stuff on a regular basis that's at least safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you have any resources? So Folane is a great resource. You have your list of mm-hmm. ingredients that you never have in your products. Are there any other resources that um, everyone here could look into the EWG, the environmental working group. They have something called the skin deep database. It has over 120,000, um, products on it. And so you can literally just look up your products at home to see if it's safe or unsafe, um, on a scale from one through 10. Um, what else? I mean, I, I honestly think it's not just our restricted substance list at, at Folane. Mm-hmm. That's a great resource. I think it's our blog. I think it's the ability to come in and, take book a clean consultation take quizzes on the website um to find the right thing for you because again Mm -hmm. that's the that's the hardest part about switching to clean is that you don't recognize what's good and bad for your skin specifically um and then you know there are a number there aren't really any blogs or resources only about clean beauty um i think that the ewg and think dirty and some of those kind of nonprofits or ewg is a nonprofit. i think some of those third-party um aggregators are helpful Mm -hmm. tools Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I would love to open it up for questions from you guys if you have any. So just raise your hand if you have one. Yeah. Yay. Hi, my name is Lizzie. Um, I am a health coach and my nine to five, I work in consulting and in consulting, we always talk about voice of the customer and how it's important to listen to your clients and your customers and kind of like engineer, like reverse engineer products so that you're serving them. And you talked a little bit about, um, your customers would say, 
we would love products in this area or we're not finding this. And so I'm curious, tactically, how do you get that feedback? And then also, how do you integrate the feedback and continuously improve your products and your services based on what the customers are, are saying and wanting? That's such a great question. Such a good so question. Good. Wow. <laughs> Kicking us so off. we have two... Um, pieces of the business, as you know. So we have our online business, um, and then we have our store business. So I think it's the, we do this in a very deep and kind of scientific way for our online business. So we literally have built our um, website on a tech stack that like it makes it so that we can collect information everywhere the customer is in the journey. Um, and so we did that on purpose just so we could be able to have access to that information. To give you an example, many businesses and including us before we built our tech stack are on Shopify or some of these other kind of like, you know, build a business in a box website, which are great but they don't always give you access to literally every single click, right? So um, so building it in that way, our online business in that way was really, really important. Um, and then obviously just using tools as basic as Google Analytics, but as in-depth as some of the other ones we use is very valuable. Um, so we, we can watch her, the customer, um, in that way. Um, and then we also have something called NPS. Have you heard of this? It's net, yeah, net promoter scores. So we will ask um, our customers for feedback on the service and on all of that. We track everything that comes in through customer service. Um, and so that's kind of like, that's all of the passive incoming data that we collect. Uh, we also go out and we do customer surveys and everything else like that. Not NPS style, but like about products and about what people want to see and features of our products that we're building and everything. Um, so it's, it's a little bit more scientific. There's a lot more data to work with. We cut it and analyze it and do all those things for the online business. For the in-store business, it's a little different, right? Because it's you know these one-to-one -one conversations. Um, so we do that by working with our store directors and managers across the country. And we say, hey, let's talk about the feedback you've, you've been getting, literally. Um, and that's really important because that feedback is much deeper, right? So people on the website are only telling you what is available to tell them. So we have these quizzes, which is a really great way of getting feedback and learning about the customer. Um, but you know it's limited to the eight questions that we've asked her. Whereas in the store, we're hearing that you know people may have children that have allergies, so that affects their product choices. And so we're just like, how do we accommodate that? And we hear about how um, there are certain products that work well before or after exercising. How do we capture that? And so it goes much, much, much deeper in the stores. Um, and we just basically, you know, through regular check-ins with our store teams, we record that. And then it, once something bubbles up enough, once we've heard it enough times, then we act on it. Anyone else? Hi, I'm Julia. I'm a Hi, student. Um, and I'm really interested in business and the health aspect, uh, aspect as well. And I have a question. So you've got a business background. Have you been na navigating the science space? I mean, I know you've got help from other consultants, but how have you personally been dealing with the science of it all? So it's an interesting question. I actually don't really have much of a business background. I mean, I have an MBA. Before that, I thought I was going to go to law school, and I didn't have any. But I'd never even taken an accounting class. Like I just, I'm They're more of an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I'm getting at is like I, I'm an entrepreneur, and I take a kind of an entrepreneurial approach to everything, including my science relationships, including, you know, the marketing for the business, including our product development, everything. And so, 
Um, so basically, how what I think that approach looks like is um, it's creating milestones and creating proof points that you feel like you need to hit, and then quickly, very quickly, figuring out um, if those are feasible. And so, um, I guess your question, I guess to answer your question about the science relationships. Um, I mean, it was the same thing. I built, once I realized how deep this, this community was and I started meeting some people and learning about the other people that were out there, I built a little plan and I was like, wow, I would love to ha have deep relationships with a dermatologist and environmental health you know, um, expert. I, basically, it was like, these are the people that I want to go in deep with. Then I met as many of them as possible um, and then figured out where the fit was, figured out who could be the most helpful and then created a regular cadence of meetings with them. And it, it just, it's like building a little mini business plan, mm -hmm. which I think is like, a, for me, it's been a good way to approach everything in my life. Um, and if something's not working, then you you knew what you were measuring um, and you knew you know when to pivot. And how do you get that meeting with all of these people? Yeah, I think question. that's like that's the, the key. That's the yeah. hardest part. Yeah. Um, I know that's why that was one of the best parts about the blog back in the mm -hmm. day because nobody none of these brand founders would have ever met with me if it was just like hey can you meet me for coffee right, right. Um, I do think having something like that like a vehicle whether it's a, a project for school or it's a blog or it's um, you know get getting to them through one or more other people um, I literally like right now we get we get a lot of requests um, for, for coffees and meetings to mm -hmm. learn about the business and learn about things. And um, it's overwhelming, to mm -hmm. be honest. And um, when I get interactions directly from people, it's a little bit harder for me to like make an appointment in the next week. But if I um, have one or two or, or even three of my personal contacts say, hey, you should meet this person, I will always meet that. Because it's, mm, you know, right. so um, I think that's a really good approach is to find people that you know that know that person. Mm -hmm. um, and it feels, all this stuff sounds so obvious when I say it out loud, but it's worth no, mentioning. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, yeah, those are good ways. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to note as well. Um, I think figuring out what your weaknesses are and then finding people who can kind of fill those voids because as like entrepreneurs or business owners or just if you're, you have a passion project and you want to pursue it, you're not going to be able to do everything mm -hmm. 100%. And so I think that's kind of been like kind of a, not I don't know if it's a struggle, but something that we've had to learn is no, like we're bad at letting we things can't go. Do even everything. if we're not the best at them, right. we're like, no, we still want to do it exactly. because it's ours. <laughs> and and I think people who are are doing these things, like you want to learn more, you're always seeking more knowledge, and so it's hard to kind of step back and be like, okay, this is something that I'm not going to be able to get as good at as someone else's. So having those people in your corner is is so important. Um, anyone else? Hi, I'm Trish. I'm also getting my MBA at Babson. Um, I had a question, I guess. So I'm working on building my business. And one of my biggest struggles has been, I guess, hiring a team when you're sort of bootstrapping and have really nothing but equity to bargain with. Did you wait until you started raising money to really reach out to those experts like you were speaking to, you know, relying on people who know more than you did? Or did you go for that from the beginning? What was your approach there? 
So are you, so I think there are two different things there. So there's the experts who can kind of be your brain trust outside of the business. And then there's the actual team on the day to day that you're building. Are you asking about the team or are you asking about the brain trust? Yeah, I would say more the team, like bringing people on to yeah. your team who can really support you in areas that you're maybe not as strong yeah. in, which is so important to do by the way. Um, and so I mean, tactically, I literally did that before raising institutional money. And we just we still had a, a like a legal we had like agreements that they had equity. Um, and that was the only way I could do it at a, you know, because how do you incentivize people? I mean, we were we were all making like nothing like our salaries were literally like nothing. And um, and so equity was a very helpful tool to incentivize people. Um, um, I think also just giving them, giving them the a, a kind of sense of ease that there was a plan that other people believed in. Having them meet with other um, investors and supporters of the business was helpful. Um, I mean, you have to de-risk it as much as you can for yourself, but also for the team that you're building too. Um, so I think that I brought them into the fold again, into like trying to be as transparent as possible. I brought them into the fold a lot. Like ultimately many meetings just had to be me because it was just, you know, we had to split time and everything, but as much as possible, I would bring them into these meetings. And, um, I think that was really important because, you know, it felt like everybody was doing this together. So does that help? Yes, very much. Thank you. Okay, good. <laughs> Anyone else? We have any other questions? Yeah. Okay. We may have to pass the next. Oh, yeah. so it's actually more of like a product question, but how do you um, how do you navigate actually like nail polish in the clean beauty space, or do you never get your nails done? Yeah, we don't sell nail polish. Yeah, I haven't gotten my nails done in years. I, there's no, I'm not like shaming. I like I honestly, it's just a personal choice. It's a reflection of kind of what Full Lane is. So we are a place that you know everything has been vetted to a certain safety standard. And like you can go shop at you know CVS and Target and Sephora and everything else end here, but you need to know that everything within these four walls and on our site hits a certain safety criteria. And right now there is no nail polish without benzophenone and a few other ingredients that fit our criteria. So, um, and that's the big one, it's benzophenone. So even in 10 free, 11 free, whatever the number is right now, all of those nail polishes, they still have it. Um, and it's a it's a derivative, I mean, of benzene, which is a known carcinogen, and it's just, that's not something we can do. Um, and it's like, and it's, a, you know, it's it's like, anyway, it's, it's very hard to make it clean. So um, we have found a brand in Australia that ha doesn't have benzophenone, but we're we're like looking into the other ingredients that <laughs> in its absence, because at the end of the day, it's nail polish, right? It's like, it's hard to do that clean. So um, we hope that there will be innovation um, to make one that we can bring in, but right now we just don't have it. So business idea for anyone exactly. out there, find exactly. a nail polish solution. Um, anyone else out there? Yeah. Outcast here. No, but, uh, no you're we not welcome. Yeah, um, I'm in the space, um, and one of the things we always look at is accessibility and the future of wellness. And like right now, wellness is kind of pretty elite. It's yep. just a fact of the matter. Um, wondering your thoughts on like the trickle down effect, how kind of we can bring wellness and these type of products to a wider audience. It's a great question. It's one that we think about every single day, and so. So price in the, so I'm going to speak obviously to my piece of the wellness industry, yeah, um, but I think a lot of this applies to food and, and many of the other pieces. So 
So price is usually driven by the fact that these are real ingredients and the sourcing. So, and this is the same to be said for food, right? So um, people used to say, oh, it's whole paycheck, right? Um, and so anyhow, so these products are obviously a little bit more expensive. They will always be, even when they hit ultimate scale, when all products are clean, they're still gonna be more expensive than the stuff that's engineered in a lab to be cheap with really cheap, by the way, toxic ingredients. Mm -hmm. So it's gonna be really hard to bring them down to that price point of true, true, true convenience that people have um, become accustomed to, to be honest. So you kind of have to take a different approach. And it is, this sounds so hokey, but it, this is an investment in your health and it's kind of like, where are you gonna spend your dollars that you have? Like you have a pie of budget, right? And it's like, how are you allocating that right now? Um, and so is it towards like clothes, video games, travel, like, you know, whatever, your kids, your everything. Like, if you can make a little bit more space for for products and practices and everything that's supporting your health, it honestly ends up, you know, you are, you are a better person that has less medical bills in the end. Like, mm -hmm. you are, it's just, you live, you're living a more robust life. So if we can convince people that that is worthwhile, um, through tons of education and content and research and all of that, I think, I think then we can really move the needle. I mean, ultimately, we're all speaking to a very, very small percentage of the population right now, and that right. irks us because everybody delivers or everybody deserves to be using not just these products, but eating healthfully and like, you know, deserves to be able to learn about the concept of meditation, the concept of taking care of yourself, and. Um, not all of the communities in, in this country or world are hearing or those conversations aren't in those communities. And um, we are, feel really passionate about somehow changing that, um, but we need to basically create a ton of education, get other experts, these scientists, these doctors to, to write and um, create studies to basically help us move the needle, because as a business, we can only do so much. Um, so it's something we think about a lot. I mean, what do you, do you have any thoughts on the matter about how we um, make the change? <laughs> yeah, just, sorry, I didn't mean to make this about me at all. No, um, I like, like, want to talk to you about this. We like deal with the same thing. I actually, I went to Babson as well, um, have a natural nice. product company. We actually like hosted a whole panel around this conversation yeah. at Babson. And yeah, it's pretty much like the part that really frustrates me is that like, Everyone says, oh, at scale, it will be cheaper. But the problem is that the scale comes with all these big industry players. So then it's like Whole Foods is getting cheaper, but now it's owned by Amazon. So yeah. is that really a win? And like that's where we kind of we run into the same problem because everyone says we, one of our biggest products is an anti-inflammatory, mm -hmm. natural anti-inflammatory. People say, oh, but aspirin's cheaper. And mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I have to try to explain to people, yes, it is significantly cheaper, yeah. but this is better and I don't really know exactly how to bridge that gap and kind of run into a lot of the same problems you do, but we're kind of hoping that as our production gets bigger, we can bring the cost down, we can educate maybe, and I mean, we've experimented with like Tom's type models, mm -hmm. um, but I don't have What's that? Right. What's a Tom's type model? Uh, one for like one. The, the oh, the Tom's. shoes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. A, yeah. Buy one, give one. I mean, I think one of the coolest ideas I've seen was a pizza shop in, I think, Pennsylvania. They do like, a, you can prepay for a slice so that mm -hmm. people can, oh, yeah. who need one can grab one, and we've kind of tried to implement some strategy like that, but again like don't have the, the magic mm -hmm. key to unlock that right. but it's something that's top of mind for us too so thank you for sharing your thoughts yeah i mean we think about it a lot i mean we ultimately need 
everybody in the world to recalibrate because everybody has applied this concept of fast food and convenience to mm -hmm. everything in their life. They want it to be super cheap and available mm -hmm. everywhere. And for that to work, it has to be manufactured in a way that I don't think anybody in this room supports. And so how do we get people to realize that these real wholesome remedies are actually a much better thing for you and for the planet and, mm -hmm. and recalibrate really? So it's not something that one business can do. It's something that has to come from, it has to be a whole entire, it has to be in the zeitgeist. It has to be an entire change. Um, and yeah, I mean, we t we're, we're talking about how we actually start talking to younger generations about it potentially mm -hmm. and talking mm -hmm. to uh, school, like kids in school. Um, like, is that is that a way that we can do it? Because um, they're usually the most vocal on social media and mm -hmm. they're the ones that are pushing back against businesses and, and the government to to have better practices. Um, so I don't know. We should stay in touch. Yeah. How do we make change? Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's it's discouraging, but also exciting because there is so much opportunity out there for the wellness space. But it's just when you know about it, you're like, yes, I believe this. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like there's no going back the other way. But when you don't know, like you don't know what you don't know. Right. Yeah. So it's that fact of just trying to get it out there mm -hmm. um well thank you so much tara this was thank such a good you. conversation yeah, thanks for coming to beacon hill yeah, yeah. this beautiful <laughs> space um we want to give a shout out to it's spritz which is what you guys are drinking right now they're an awesome partner of ours um and their drinks are awesome as you guys know um so thank you to it's spritz to full lane mm -hmm. um and to unreal oh yes candy. unreal candy um so i think they're in the back somewhere yeah you guys so. didn't grab them they look like yeah. healthy peanut butter cups which are like my yeah favorite and so thing, the so. dye on the unreal candy is made out of fruits and vegetables which is so cool so it's not anything like toxic in those ingredients and the peanut butter cups are awesome <laughs> um so yeah thank you guys so much we really appreciate it um i think as we said at the beginning a year ago we had no idea that we would be doing events um, we didn't know that we would be you know sitting in front of you talking to the CEO of full lane um, so yes. we just really really appreciate it um, if you've listened to the podcast you know we just added another person so we're really excited about that mm -hmm. and we have some awesome things coming up so um, we hope you stick around mingle a little bit yes. take pictures we'd love to say hi to all of you I think we've said hi to most of you but yes and shop around mm -hmm. um, yes. the lovely Ladies, Our team is here to help you. Yes, <laughs> and I think they said ten percent off. Oh, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So stock up. Yes. I want that cleanser now. I know. <laughs> so Thank you. Thank, yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you.